This evening we delve into once more the crucial qualifications of an overseer and that would also, because we're looking at qualifications, it also means the possible disqualifications as well. This all hinges off of that above reproach element that we see in First Timothy 3 and the qualifications that we explore go beyond just the surface and this is not something that just is for the overseers within a congregation. If you actually look at most of this list it would apply to all Christians. It would apply to the way that we are to be as a sanctified body of believers and they also penetrate deep to the very core of the overseer's character. These are qualifications, but it's also about the very character of the overseer. And so in this section, we examine really two major traits because they hinge off of each other. You could say that there's four, but you can see that the being not addicted to wine and not pugnacious kind of go together. And then the virtues of being considerate and peaceable go together. So you could really split this into two separate sections that we'll look at tonight, but we'll examine all four areas that we see here. And in a world that's really filled with many distractions, many conflicts, the importance of these qualifications really cannot be overstated when it comes to the overseers and the elders within the congregation. The command even to be temperate, which was before, and to and to be free from even the grip of wine that we'll look at tonight, and to avoid a combative spirit, is really a divine derivative that speaks to the essence of spiritual leadership within a body of believers, the Church of Christ. And in contrast, the call to be considerate and even peaceable paints this picture of a leader who not only abstains from harmful behavior, but actively embodies the love and the harmony of Christ. And so on one side, you've got this avoidance, and on the other side, you've got a running towards within these two separate elements. That idea of addicted to wine and pugnacious is this combative element and this out-of-control element that is to be avoided, but then you've got the peaceable and the considerate on the other side, which is the active pursuit that the overseer is meant to be with. And so it's, I believe, very fitting that we look at just that this evening. But won't you turn with me there to 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7, and it reads as follows. It is a trustworthy saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be above reproach. Now, I believe that most of this list really hinges off of what that above reproach looks like. And that's what we see going on from there. The husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." Lord, as we come to your word this evening, we do pray that you would be exalted. O Spirit of God, that you would apply your word into our own hearts as a body of believers this evening, and that you would cause us to be changed, to be moved towards you. Help us, O Lord, to see the truth within your word. 
We thank you for the inspiration of your word, and we thank you also for the illumination that you bring to your word, as we ask you humbly to do even this evening for us. So we commit ourselves to you and to your hands, Lord, and we pray that you would speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is part five of this section in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7. And you could really entitle this Guided by Temperance and Peace. There's the temperance element, but then there's the peace element as well in the second portion of it. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable. And so that's the first part of verse 3. Next week, Lord willing, in our evening service, we'll look at the free from the love of money. And that will be our only point next week in our evening service as we look at that and we see, and I'm hoping to paint something of a picture of what a false prophet even looks like and what a false shepherd looks like. Because one of the areas that actually is common amongst every single false teacher is that pursuit of ill-gotten gain and that greediness and that love of money. And we can see that even going back to prophets like Balaam. So there's an advert for next week. But here we are, not addicted to wine is the first area that we'll focus our attention on. And this phrase is really a divine injunction for those that are overseers, for elders, not merely concerning the consumption of alcohol, that's not what it's only speaking about, but also addressing the state of the overseer's mind and the overseer's heart. That's where this really goes towards, because it speaks about this addiction to wine. It speaks of something that grips his heart, that grips his mind, that causes him to not be able to be free. That's something that rules him other than Christ. And this addiction in particular to something like wine or other mind-altering substances, because sadly today people go, oh, well, it talks about wine, it doesn't talk about marijuana. No, it talks about wine, but it doesn't talk about whiskey. So great, I've got my whiskey then. No, if, if there's this addiction to anything that may be mind-altering, a mind-altering substance that causes you not to be as in the mind as you should be, fosters an unprecedented, an unprecedented kind of a control over that person. And it compromises this person's ability to lead with wisdom because this begins to rule the heart and rule the mind. An overseer is called to be a model of soberness, sober in their thinking, sober in their speaking, sober in their interactions, demonstrating the importance of a sound mind in the service of his God. And it reflects the divine standard for spiritual leaders, emphasizing self-control, temperance, and clear-headedness. As a biblical illustration, as you think through this, there's a number of illustrations that really do come to mind. But do you remember Noah, righteous Noah, who had built the ark, had preached for 120 years, gets onto the ark, and once he's done on the ark and the land dries up, he plants a vineyard. And what happens with him? He gets drunk from the wine from his vineyard. That's in Genesis 9, verse 20 to 25. His loss of control led to shame and dishonor, showcasing then the dangers 
of this kind of an indulgence because that's what Noah did. He indulged. Similarly, the account of Lot. Remember what happened with Lot? Who's also referred to in the book of Hebrews as righteous Lot. Whose soul was tormented inside of Sodom. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. He was tormented. He wished to be out of that wicked place. But as soon as God has delivered him from that place, remember Mrs. Lot? You know, she used to, uh, she actually coined the phrase for smarties, what a lot I got. That's the Mrs. Lot. Okay. But she turned into a pillar of salt looking back towards Sodom. And Lot's two daughters hatch a plan. Let's get dad drunk and sleep with him. So Lot unknowingly fathers children through his own daughters. And the text actually tells us he didn't even know about it. That's how drunk he was. This distressing episode underscores the tragic outcomes of impaired judgment and the devastating effects and the devastating impact that it can have not just on an individual, but on whole families. When someone is given to the spirit of wine, in that sense. Now, I'm not talking in the charismatic, crazy way of that type of... No, it is a spirit. Okay, Alcohol's a spirit in that sense. Not an evil spirit like a demon, but it is something that alters the mind. Now, what is it that the overseer and the Christian is called towards? Because this is not just speaking to the overseer and saying, don't be addicted to wine. This is something that ought to be the norm amongst Christians. Christians are meant to be people that are sober in their mind, that are able to say no. You see, the liberty that we have as Christians, and this often gets so confused in our world, many people love the idea of having liberty as a Christian. Oh, that means I can say yes to whatever I want because I'm free, right? No, the real liberty that Christ has given to us at salvation is the liberty and the ability to say no, to say no to the flesh, no to the world, no to Satan, and yes to Jesus. That's the liberty that you and I have. It's no such thing as, oh, well, I can just do what, what I wish and when I plan to and how I want to. The opposite of this is to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's how we are meant to be governed. He is the one that is meant to be controlling our heart. He's the one that's meant to be controlling our mind. He empowers us, not dispowers us. So in sharp contrast, the overseer is called to be a man filled with the Spirit of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and to empower, to influence every aspect of their lives, as well as every Christian. Listen to what Ephesians 5 verse 18 says. And you can look at that in Ephesians 5 verse 18 to 21. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. There's a reason that this was, this actually is contrasted for us. 
I believe that we have something of an indication in Ephesians 5 verse 18 as to why God ever allowed grapes to become fermented in such a way that they could be intoxicating. Because God wants to give us a picture of what our life should be like underneath the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about this nonsense of being drunk in the Spirit. That is absolute hogwash. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that he controls our being and gives us an absolute crystal clear soundness of biblical mindset in everything that we do. That's the picture that we get. You all know what it's like to see somebody bobbling around trying to hold on to a light post and because they need to hold it up, right? Because they want to make sure that it gets light from ESCOM or whatever. You, you, all, you all know about that. You all know about the jokes about who so-and-so walked into the bar. And we all know what happens when somebody is under the influence of alcohol. We've seen it in our country with one of the highest road accident issues in the world where people under the influence wrap a pole around their car. <laughs> And take the corner and never put it back again and all the rest. We know what that's like. But we're called as Christians. Like that drunkard that is hobbling around and just waiting for his next drink. That's how we're to be about the Holy Spirit. He's the one that we're to be committed to. He's the one that we're to be filled with. He's the one that we got to make sure that we don't grieve him. You know, they, some people say it's good to hire a drunkard because he'll work really hard because he wants to buy the next drink. I don't think that's necessarily good advice, but some people say that. So I'm just telling you what some people say. Some people are not that smart with this. But they live for the next drink that they're going to get. Let's, today, let's eat, let's drink because tomorrow we die. And they drink themselves into some stupor. And you do wonder to yourself, amongst the unbelievers in this world, if they actually seen things a little bit more clearly than the rest of their heathen brethren. Because this life really is terrible apart from having Jesus. And there's an emptiness in their hearts, which they yearn after. But for the Christian, dear one, are you that filled with the Holy Spirit of God? That you make sure that you're not grieving him in your life. That you make sure that you listen to his tender voice. That you are filled with him. In such a way that he rules your heart. That he gives you absolute biblical clarity in the way that you think. Because what happens when we're filled with the Spirit? Think about your home for a moment. And ask yourself, does it look like this in verse 19 of Ephesians 5? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Is your home looking like that, dear Christian? Does your home look like that? Because if it does not, let me tell you, you're not filled with the Spirit of God. You're filled with something else, maybe yourself. You might not be filled with wine, but you're filled with something else. If it's not looking like this, how are you speaking to one another as husband and wife? How are you speaking to your children? Is there gratitude to your Heavenly Father? 
Think about that. Making melody in your heart. Is that your home? Always giving thanks for all things. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I have a husband who left his clothes on the floor. <laughs> That's not an excuse for men to leave their clothes on the floor. And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's a spirit-filled individual. That's what our church ought to look like, sound like, be like. Filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, you know what happens when somebody's filled with wine. I mean, the most shy individual can sing like you cannot believe. Maybe not keep a proper tune. But there's this for some at least, this jovial kind of craziness. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit results in spiritual clarity, in wisdom, in self-control. You know how much we need the Holy Spirit? We can't even properly pray without Him helping us. You remember that what happened with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. They didn't yet have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We need a helper. We need the Holy Spirit to live lives in such a way that will be pleasing to the Father. Listen to Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Does your life look like that? Does your home look like that? That's what a Spirit-filled individual looks like. An overseer must be led by the Spirit of God, not by wine. The Spirit of God must possess his mind so that he has himself in his possession this, the mind of Christ. He must align his thoughts, his actions with Christ's divine will. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to 16 is another passage that just highlights this for us. It speaks about the natural man. It says this, but the natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually exam examined. But he who is spiritual examines all things, yet he himself is examined by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will direct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is true empowering. It is not debilitating. That's what wine does. Wine debilitates. The Spirit of God empowers. When the overseer is enslaved to something or someone other than Jesus Christ, it dishonors God. And it brings down the local church. There is reproach for the overseer who serves any other master other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, 24, speaking about wealth, Jesus says this, but I believe that this is true even in regard to any other form of addiction. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now think about that in regard to any other form of addiction. If you are addicted to something that rules your heart, 
then you actually hate Jesus. Be honest then before Jesus. Be honest this evening and say to him, Jesus, I hate you because I love that more than you. And change my heart, O Lord, for I've trusted in myself for far too long. Jesus grants freedom from anything that would hold you apart from Jesus. We as Christians are to be enslaved to nothing other than righteousness and no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. That's one of the reasons why there's so many that are on the broad path that lead to destruction. That's why there are so many that stand before him one day and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out the demons in your name, heal the sick in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Heaven must be ours. And he says, get away from me, for I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. Why? Because something else or someone else held their heart instead of Jesus. You thought this was just going to be about the elders at Benoni Bible Church, didn't you? (laughs) This is God's call for all of us. As Christians, we are to be under Christ and he's to be our Lord. We have one master, one Lord, one mediator between God and man and the person, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we look to. So the requirement of not being addicted to wine goes beyond just this mere abstaining from alcohol, which we do, by the way, we abstain. Don't touch it on purpose. It's not just about abstaining, but it goes beyond that. And this is something for every single Christian. Is there anything else that holds your heart other than Jesus? Is there anything else that you are enslaved to other than righteousness? Be honest with the Lord. And this specifically is something that disqualifies an overseer. That's how important this is here. It signifies a life that is characterized by spiritual soberness. And I do think that there's also an element here where he's called to stand firm against the social pressures that he might face. A pastor or overseer or elder is not beyond some of the social pressures that every other believer faces. I mean, we're in a society that love a dop and chop, aren't we? And, and the overseers are called to be above that and to be an example to the believers, even in this, to, dev- to give heed to this call. The next is pugnacious. Now, that's an interesting word. I know that the children, yeah, are like they're learning a new insult. Now, they're going to go to school and say, don't be pugnacious. Thou shalt not be pugnacious. So it speaks here in the context, I believe, in particular of this addiction to wine that seems to have a hand-in-hand element with pugnaciousness. But pugnacious we'll look at as a separate point, but think about it in the way that at times wine even would lead, and an addiction to wine would lead to aggression. 
Okay? Not just being mindless in many respects, but an aggression. Think about some of the gender-based violence. I know that that is quite a, a key phrase in our country. And we have speeches every year by our president and others talking about how this year we're going to end gender-based violence. I'll tell you something. If they ban alcohol for good, you'll probably find that gender-based violence will drop like you cannot believe. And so will car accidents. But then we'll probably land up uh, smuggling it because we like our dop and chop. Right. But this idea of pugnacious is aggressive, confrontational, contentious. It means more than just refraining from physical violence. It's refraining from wanting a fight. You know, you get some people that just want to fight. Or maybe they just got that face that looks like it. But it embodies the spirit of gentleness and patience. That's part of what the overseer is called towards. Even in the face of opposition. And let me tell you, there is lots of opposition when you seek to honor the Lord Jesus. The overseer must be slow to anger, quick to forgive, and always ready to reconcile. A contentious spirit disrupts the unity of a congregation and also hinders the work of God. The overseer, as a peacemaker, should resolve conflicts with grace as well as with humility, leading the congregation by example. They should be able to see that in the life of the overseers. Pugnaciousness goes beyond just that physical aggression element. It encompasses this contentious spirit. Oh, I just want to find something to argue about. There's a, a, a readiness to engage in dispute. Oh, what's the next thing that I can fight about? That's one of the reasons I deleted Facebook, by the way, so that I will not be pugnacious. Because, it, oh, it is so tempting when there's social media. Or a tendency to stir up strife. An overseer must avoid this. While boldness and courage in defending the faith are absolutely commendable. And hear me, courage and boldness is called for. I think there's one of the areas that is so lacking in our day is overseers that have something called a backbone. So many just don't. They think that some type of timid, kind of a yes ma'am, no ma'am, three bags full ma'am kind of a Christianity is exactly what an elder must be. No, they must lead spiritually with courage, with fervor, with a desire for God to be honored. We're called to be a people that are bold and courageous and we are to defend the faith. That's commendable. But intentional efforts to incite conflict or division, that is absolutely contrary to the spirit of Christ. And we shouldn't then say that trying to have conflict or dispute is the same thing as courage and boldness. We've got to be careful with that. There's something about standing for the cause of Christ in our world compared to standing for your own reputation. That's different. Look at what Paul says to Titus when speaking about the way that the church is to be ordered in the book of Titus. Titus 3 verse 9 to 11. Listen to what he says there. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and conflicts about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now he's speaking there to Titus in particular, and Titus is 
an overseer over the churches in Crete, and he says, avoid this. I mean, turn your back on this, where there's these foolish controversies. Genealogies, because the Jews love to talk about their genealogies. Who came from who? What people group did you come from? Where did you, whose grandfather is your grandfather? And where did you come from exactly? And did you go back to Shem, Ham, or Japheth? Which one did you go back to of Noah's three sons? Because we've got to figure that one out, because you might still be under a curse if you're under Ham. Because, you know, ham is from pork and pork's not good. And they just love strife and conflicts about the law. Oh, well, you better not spit on the Sabbath day. You might plant a seed and then you're working. No, no, no. Be careful. I mean, I was reading some of the Israel stuff and there's this channel that I'm following of a, a Jewish guy there. And he's like giving advice about the, the Sabbath to the people and he's saying no he's only going to post on this group if it's something really important now remember to leave your lights on you know in your safe room because you don't want to turn the light on on the sabbath i mean that's work right and there's people that are like this that are pedantic it's like they gotta find something to have an issue about it says avoid that it's unprofitable it's worthless i mean get on with serving the lord and then it says reject a factious man. That's not somebody who has lots of facts. It's somebody who causes friction and has his own groupings. Avoid this. Avoid a, a reject a factious man after a first and a second warning. Hey, hold on a minute. You've been contentious here in this body of believers. No, no, no. Stop it. Oh, hold on. You're carrying on with your contention. Stop it. We reject this. I mean, that's quite quick. Church discipline for something like this contentiousness. That's strong. Knowing this is what you are to know about such a man, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. I mean, that's huge. You've got somebody that's been contentious in Benoni Bible Church and you warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you reject them. Why? Because such an individual, if indeed they had the Spirit of God in them, would have realized the first time that you warned them. And they bring in about division in the body. And he says, knowing that such a man is perverted. Oh, you think that just some controversy and some kind of contention and some kind of niggles in the body, that that's just okay? No, it's not okay according to God. Because we're to be united underneath Jesus our Lord. And he's the one that's meant to be getting the worship. But what's a factious individual trying to do? They're trying to get people after them. And people to worship them. And their reputation. And they think that they're standing on this thing. And you better go my way or it's the highway. And I know that most of us would prefer the highway, right? <laughs> This is very important for each and every one of us. We're meant to be a people uniting under Jesus for the cause of Christ. We're not meant to be having passions that wage war within us that lead towards strife, as we see James even speak about. Now, I want us to distinguish as well between courage and controversy. Courage and controversy. Because I do think this is important. Courage for the things of the Lord... And a biblical worldview 
should not be confused with a contentious attitude. You and I actually are in a war. We're in a war. We're told that in the Bible. And a war means conflict. We're constantly in conflict. But what are we or who are we in conflict with? We're not meant to be in conflict with one another in the shield war. We are in conflict against Satan, against his hordes, against the world, and in particular against the flesh. And the flesh wages war within us. The flesh wants us to go the way of Adam. Go your own way instead of going God's way. We are a people at war, but we're called to not be at war with one another. We're meant to be locking shields with one another. And we're meant to be following our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're meant to be those that are courageous for a biblical worldview. Now the overseer of all the members of a local church must stand for truth. He must. And he should not back down from the obvious conflict that arises from standing with Jesus. That's not contentiousness though. That's courage. And the reproach that comes with standing with Jesus should be welcomed by courageous leaders who stand firmly for truth and righteousness without seeking unnecessary contention. And that's an important point to highlight. They are not to seek unnecessary contention. They are to speak the truth in love. That's what we see in Ephesians 4. And that's an important section. Ephesians 4 verse 15. But I'll read from verse 11. And he himself gave some as apostles. This is about Jesus. And some as prophets. And some as evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. And for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love is not contentiousness. That's courage under Christ. From whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly, me prop properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now defending the truth and defending the faith with humility and respect is what is called for. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, and I'll read to you from verse 18 to 17, which says this, now, Peter says this, now to sum it all up, all of you are to be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for, a, for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Do you see that? Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend 
attend to their prayers. He's speaking here about those that pursue peace and seek it. Those are the righteous that have the eyes of the Lord towards them. His ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In this context, those that do not seek peace, those that do not pursue it. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? He continues in verse 13. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you see, there is an expectation that when you're living like this, you will suffer. Because anyone that seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their fear and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. We're called towards that kind of a courage. Yet with gentleness and fear. Having a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, we're to expect that as believers. They are going to slander us. So that in the thing that they slander you about, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing good rather than doing wrong. The overseer is to engage in discussions with a desire for understanding and reconciliation, promoting peace and unity within the body of Christ. They ought to be a peacemaker, reconciliatory type of a behavior from an overseer within the church of Christ. He's called even to be a peacemaker, like our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9. Remember what he said there? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And just a little bit further, in the same section in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in verse 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A contentious person Never let anyone insult them or persecute them or falsely say all kinds of evil things about them because of Jesus. A contentious person just can't let that slide. No, they got to keep their reputation up. And the courage that we are speaking about here is a courage for the cause of Christ. A courage for standing in Christ. And contentious person, contentiousness really wages war and fights for one's own glory instead of the glory of Christ. So courage stands for the glory of Jesus. Contentiousness stands for my own glory. How can I get what I want the way that I want it? And you better not insult me. And we're not willing then to suffer for the cause of Christ. So the overseer is to really be somebody that embodies that gentleness and patience that we see even our Lord Jesus had. Instead of sparking unnecessary fights, 
the overseer should promote dialogue, understanding, resolution, reconciliation, asking questions, seeking to be at peace with those that even would be against them, putting a guard before their mouth, because sometimes you can really do well until you open your mouth. And remember also that love covers a multitude of sin and overlooks an offense. First Peter 4 verse 8 says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Isn't that amazing that Peter would say this towards the end of First Peter? And he says, above all. And, you know, I've just told you a whole bunch of things in my sermon here in First Peter. And above all, above all, are you listening? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now the contentious person, oh boy, you just sinned against me. You got to pay back what you've done. No love that covers sin. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, A man's insight makes him slow to anger, and it is his honor to overlook a transgression. A contentious man can't overlook a transgression. A contentious man is not slow to anger. They're quick towards it. A contentious man does not have love that covers a multitude of sin. You see what happens when you're in a body of believers. Something that's quite amazing. It's called sanctification. Because as you hang around with one another and as you get to know one another more, you start to see what sinners one another are. And you start to realize, but I don't actually quite like what that person did there. Or what that person said there. Or how that person behaved there. And did you see they even walked past me without greeting me? And we become sanctified. Because we're to treat one another as Jesus our Lord has treated us. Being around one another is messy indeed. But it actually teaches us how to be peacemakers. But if we're contentious, that's dangerous. So when conflicts arise, they should approach them, these overseers, and I think any believer really, should approach this with grace and humility, seeking to restore the unity and the harmony that is there and meant to be there amongst the congregation by exemplifying these qualities. And the overseer becomes this instrument of God's peace, fostering then an atmosphere where God's work flourishes, where each individual member within the body feels the freedom to be who God had intended them to be within that body, underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to leave the considerate and peaceable for next week, and then, Lord willing, we'll get to the love of money the week after, because I see that it's now time. I didn't see any yawns at all, so it's not because you were yawning. But we, we're going to close there. And I think that's enough for us to think about tonight. And to think about, just in the application for yourselves, whether or not there's something other than the Holy Spirit that you are under in your life. And then also to think about what kind of a person are you. Put it into a, an illustration format. When you walk in the door, do you bring the hurricane or do you bring a gentle breeze on a summer day? What you bring in with you when you come? When, when people see you walk in, 
and and maybe they don't see you looking at them. What do they think? What do they feel? Oh no, here he comes. Oh no, there she comes. Oh, there's trouble. Please, can I just find something else to do? Or do they feel a gentle breeze? Ah, there's a refreshing that comes when this brother or this sister walk in. Ah, it's just such a joy to be in their presence. Ah, nice that is. You know, let me tell you about um, your one overseer here. When I get grumpy, Maxine sends me to him. Oh, you need some any time, right? Because that's the reality with an overseer like him. That's here. Praise God for that. Where you are rejuvenated and revived in the presence of an individual. Because there's not this contentious spirit. There's not this addicted to anything else other than serving the Lord Jesus Christ with joy. And that's how we're called to all be. We're called to follow such examples that God gifts to his church so that we might be a people that are under the spirit of God and that are people that are not contentious but bring about peace with those that we are with. Let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have of being part of a body of believers. Thank you that you gift your church with overseers, that you give elders to a local church. And later on in this passage, we see you also give deacons to your local church. And thank you for the members that make up Benoni Bible Church. We thank you for one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did everything that was necessary for the absolute conquer of our souls and our, and our lives at the cross. We thank you that you paid for the sin and the debt that our sin was owing. You paid all of the wrath that we deserved because of our sin in full. And you've done that, Lord, not just so that we would be saved from the wrath to come, not just so that we would be saved and one day go to heaven, but that right now, today, we might live lives victorious in Jesus Christ that we might live to your glory, be new creatures, new creation underneath you, our great creator. We thank you for the miracle of salvation. What a marvel this is, Lord. I just think of my brothers and sisters that are here, and I, and I shudder to think where they would be apart from your grace. Yet here they are. You've been merciful. You've done such a miracle, just even in my own life. What a precious God you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving the people, redeeming us, plucking us, as it were, from the very flames of hell and taking us and putting us as a, as a body of believers. Thank you that you rule our hearts, Lord. We want to confess before you if there's anything that is holding us that is not you. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict the hearts of these dear brothers and sisters this day, that if they are addicted to anything other than your glory, that you would free them, Lord, that you would grant them such a freedom in you because you have done this for us at the cross. Remove from them the lie that the devil would like to have them believe, that they have be, they are trapped, that they are underneath this thing and they're just going to have it the rest of their life, that they've asked you for forgiveness so many times, come back to you, but, but then they've fallen again into this and they didn't just fall, they jumped into it. Lord Jesus, please, would you remove from them the lie of the evil one, and cause them to realize the victory that they have in Jesus Christ and his finished work of the cross. Oh, that we would be a church that is filled with your Holy Spirit.
that we would be a church that does not grieve you, dear Lord, that we would be a church that has you be the one that is most precious to us and that we would listen to your tender voice and that we would follow you and that we would be brave in our world and that we would honor you, O Lord. Keep us away from that spiral of guilt and shame and sin. Keep us, O Lord. Cause us to love you more. Cause us to be renewed in our fervor and in our love for you, that our first love would never grow cold, that instead we would keep feeding it as it were, that that would be a flame that continues to grow within us, that people would be able to see the passion that we have for you come from our eyes and from our mouths and that our ears would be turned towards your voice, that our hands would do the work that you've called us to do, that our feet would be ready to go and share the gospel with the lost. Oh Lord, that you would please do a work in us. How desperately we need you. How desperately we need you to work in us that we would never be addicted to anything other than you. Oh Lord, that we would be a people that build one another up, that you would build us up in your love, that you'd cause us as a body of believers at Benoni Bible Church to, to speak a word that's in season with one another, that we would seek to build one another up in our sacred faith, that we would love you and that we would love one another that we would be devoted to you in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, in all the ways that we are with one another and even away from one another, that we would honor you, Lord, that we would be quick to forgive, that we would be quick to overlook, that we would turn a deaf ear and a blind eye toward insults and towards maliciousness that may be there amongst us, and that we may be a body of believers that turn fully toward the Lord Jesus Christ that you would be honored, O Lord, amongst us. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.